Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning, thank you for coming and joining us for church today. And our memory verse this week is, uh, that is why, and we just sang about this, the choir just sang just about this. That is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. We'll see if Charlie's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the next half hour. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray that your word will speak to our hearts. And Father, that uh, we will listen to your word and we will live by your word. Thank you for these young people, Father, again. Uh, what a privilege to have them in our midst. Thank you for our teenagers and the little children that are over in the early childhood department today. We thank you for their teachers and leaders, and we pray your blessing on them as we meet as well. In Christ's name, amen. To open your Bibles to our passage this morning, now you'll notice in your bulletin that it's the Second Timothy I think in the bulletin it's slightly different than what I had up in their board, so I'll try to, there's, the NIV has gone through a revision, so occasionally, the one I put up there, I've got to make sure, I think we had here, yet, uh, yet there's no cause for shame, okay, I got it right. Occasionally it might be slightly different depending on the uh, newer, the 84 translation of the NIV, but we're using the NIV for our memory verses. This is our memory verse for this week, and it comes from the Apostle Paul's last epistle, Second. Timothy. I have a commentary in my office. I believe it's by John Stott. I've, I've used a small one, but it's called Guard the Gospel. This is, this is, Tim, this is Paul's last, kind of last will and testament. Uh, he knows as you come to the end of this uh, epistle, he makes it clear that he expects to die soon. And he expects that he is going to be in heaven with the Lord um, soon. And we most Theologians and Bible scholars definitely believe this is Paul's last epistle. And so we go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, the first chapter. Timothy is a uh, pastor, a leader, elder that uh, was Paul's spiritual child, that uh, he mentored in the faith, he traveled with Paul. He and Titus, Titus and Timothy are the pastoral epistles because they're written by the apostle to uh, pastors, not to a church like Ephesus or Colossians and so forth. Uh, we call these the pastoral epistles. And I want you to, let's begin and let's look at um, uh, verse 11. Of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle, Paul says, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed. And earlier, and Paul tells Timothy in this um in this uh, earlier part in this same chapter, he asked Timothy to not be ashamed of him in verse 8. So do, not, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Why would he have to fear about being ashamed? Well, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He is a prisoner. And he is about, we believe, to be executed. This is, you know, on the end of the, of the end of Acts, we find Paul in Roman custody. 
They really don't know why they have him in custody. It's almost protecting him himself for his, for his own benefit. And they keep him in Caesarea for two years, and they take him to Rome for two years. And we get the accounts at the end of Acts, and they really have no reason to have him in, in prison, but they do. And they, finally, we believe he is, he is let, he's let out, and he travels. And then he, he writes the prison epistles while he's in prison, and then he travels. We think he writes First Timothy, and maybe Titus, and he's rearrested. But this time, that Paul is rearrested, this time... Paul is a criminal. He is going to be executed. And he is a Roman citizen. So this is not taken lightly. He is going to be executed. He is a criminal. And his crime most likely, we aren't told the details, but most likely is sedition against the Roman government. Remember when uh, they wanted to accuse Jesus, they said, he claims to be a king. We have no king but Caesar. They accuse the Apostle Paul of the same thing. They say he is preaching another king, and they use that against him. And in fact, the Christian religion religion was illegitimate. As long as it was seen under the canopy of Judaism, it was legitimate. Because one of the regulations in the Roman Empire was you could worship anyone you please. Any They, did, they could care less who what God you worshipped, as long as you worshipped the emperor of Rome, basically the Roman state. The only religion that was exempt was Judaism. And Christianity was seen as a subset of Judaism. But as it became more important and more independent and seen apart from that, anytime you, if if you're a tent maker and Paul's a tent maker and he's taking business that you want to have, all you have to do is go to authorities and say, hey, this man doesn't worship the Roman emperor and he could be arrested. So Paul has been arrested as a ringleader, if you will, of this new Christian movement, which is seditious against the Roman government. And he is going to be executed. And because of this, Paul says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. I am not ashamed of what I've done. I have no reason. Paul has done nothing to be in jail. He has done nothing. In fact, he has told the Christians to be good citizens, right? He's told them to obey the government. He's told them to be good citizens. He has done nothing that deserves this. But his enemies and those who are always opposing him would use things like this to say, look, Apostle Paul, he's a criminal. He is going to be executed. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me, Timothy. I am not ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Verse 12, that is why I am suffering, our verse this week, as I am for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I am not ashamed. Because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I know. And you notice he says, I know. He doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He says, I know what? Whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Not, it's not just what I believe. I know God. I know Christ Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. I know this. And I am convinced he can guard this. You know, I was thinking about the word guard. I was thinking about, uh, you turn the lights down just for a second. This, this, uh, 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 Marine Honor, Honor Guard, this is at, uh, John Glenn's funeral, uh, at the state, in the state house in Washington, D.C. You know, I was thinking about this. We call these honor guards. 
Jennifer would know more about this than I do. They call, we call these honor guards. But I got to thinking about this. You know, I think there's a difference between an honorary guard and an honor guard. You know, somebody might uh, select me to honorarily uh, raise the 12-man flag at the Seahawks game, right? That's an honor. It's an honorary. Some might, uh, someone could, could give me an honorary degree that I really didn't earn, but they bestow an honor upon me. But I got to thinking about this. I wonder, is an honor guard because the person is worth honoring who's being guarded? Or the place? Or the embassy? They are guarding something of honor. And you know, this is so traditional. We see this and, and we, you know, it always impresses us the way they can stand and how sharp and, and everything looks. But let me ask you a question. Because they, they stood there, some of them, throughout the entire time that people came to visit. John Glenn. And you know, if somebody came in and tried to steal that flag and take a spray can and paint graffiti on that casket, do you think the honor guard would just stand there and say, we are just honorary guards, so we can't do anything? I don't know, Jennifer, what do you think? Think they might do something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they are guarding something of honor. They are not just an honorary guard. They are guarding something that's worth guarding. It, it, it is worthy of guarding. And I, I just say that and ask you to think about this as we consider this verse today. I am suffering as I am. This is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced he is able to guard. God can take care of it. God will guard it. It's worth guarding. This is not just an honorary thing. This is something real and something serious. God will guard it. He will take care of it and he will make sure it is safe. He is able to do this. The word for, uh, the word therefore, what I have entrusted to him, the idea here in the, in the Greek language is this the idea of what I just did with Charlie. Okay, I, I gave him something that I want him to guard. It, it, it's a little bit different. The New Testament era more more had to do with Charlie. Um, I'm going to be gone on a trip for a week, and when I come back, I am counting on you to to keep my keys for me. Okay, it really is true. I am looking for a set of keys at home, and I you know the crazy it's one of those things you know they're in the house, right? They're in the house somewhere. We have looked. Everywhere. The only thing we can blame is our one and a half year old grandchild was with us and maybe she picked them up and put them in the garbage or something. I don't know. I, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of cheesy though. That's not really fair, right? I lost them somewhere. They're gone, but they're there. But at some point I have to give up and go get a new key fob, okay? So, but if I gave that to Charlie and said, Charlie, hang on to that. I'm counting on you. When I return, I expect to find that in the same condition I left it in. That's the idea of the deposit. It's a deposit that I've given someone to guard. It's not just an honorary guard. It's an honor to guard that deposit. The Greek word paratheke is a common phrase to suggest someone goes on a journey and leaves valuables in another one's care. So the question is then, some of you have the ESV Bible. ESV, English Standard Version Translation, is a good translation, and many people are using it today. It's probably 
below the NIV in terms of popular use in contemporary Christianity Day, most likely. And I want you to look what it says here. Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Do you notice anything different? Look, look at the NIV. He is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. ESV, he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now that's quite, that's quite different. My deposit. What has been entrusted to whom? And you might look and say, well, what, you know, how could you come up with something that just seems quite opposite? One says God is able to guard what I've entrusted to him would be Paul's life and ministry. And that certainly is true. We know from Paul's ministry, we know from his writings, he was depending on God to take care of his life and his ministry and the people that had been saved and nurtured under his work. But the ESV says it has to do with what God has been entrusted to me. One is going this way and one is going that way. How do you come up with two complete different ideas? Well, friends, if you've ever done any study of language, most of you have done some study of language, you understand that when it comes to translating, sometimes it can be translated either way. And that's exactly the case. Because in the original language, it's simply, it just is, it's, it's a little bit more concise. And basically it just says, he is able to guard my deposit. He is able to guard my deposit. And if I just left it at that, well, is that my deposit to him or something he has deposited to me? You follow? That's what it is. That's why it comes out that way. And so I'm going to suggest to you this morning, that, well, number one, I'm going to suggest, I think sometimes maybe the language is a little ambivalent on purpose because both are certainly true. We do that in our language. They're both true. We've given our ministry to God. We know that God will take care of it. We're investing in these children and we're just here. We're going to be gone someday. And they are going to be adults. And we're trusting that God is going to take care of that. That is certainly true. I think in the context of Second Timothy, and I want to suggest to you, I think the ESV has it right. And I'm not suggesting John the choir's got to re-sing that song, okay? Because both are true. But I want to suggest to you that I think it's the ESV has it right in the context of Second Timothy. That Paul is talking about something that has been deposited and has given been given to him. What is it? What could this something be? What could be, what could have been entrusted to Paul that he would say, God, I know what you've given me. You will take care of until that day, until the day when I am in your presence and, and my life is over here. You will take care of it. What could it be? The gospel, the teaching that has been committed to Paul. Paul talks about, and he even uses the term my gospel. And that is because as we teach in our church, it is important to understand that the Apostle Paul, he tells us this in Ephesians. I was, I was called by God to take the gospel to the Gentile world. 
Now, does that mean that no other apostles ever went out? No, that's not true. We know that Peter traveled, you know, but Paul was specifically called. It was something new. Things were, things were really focused in Palestine, in, Je- in Jerusalem, in Judea. Thousands of people were coming to Christ. But even in that scenario, when Peter is called to go to Cornelius, he says, no, I can't do that. He's a Gentile. You, God, you can't ask me to do that. Remember the sheet came down. We talked about this last fall with all those animals in it that were unclean. And, 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 and Peter says, no, I'm not going to eat that. And God says, Peter, if I say eat it, you eat it. And he forces him to go to Cornelius. And they're amazed and shocked that the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. Paul was specifically, and it wasn't easy for him either. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul was as, as, as clean, purified, kosher as anybody else in Jerusalem. But he was specifically called to go to the Gentile pagan world and bring a message that Jew or Gentile, Male or female, slave or free, Galatians, you are welcome to be part of what God is doing, this new people of God, the church, the body of Christ. And it is apart from any connection to the Mosaic law. You do not have to keep kosher. You do not have to practice the law. You do not have to do anything but come by simple faith in Jesus Christ and his blood atonement. Our children said it, right? Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He took that to the Gentile world. And people followed him and says, that's, that, that's not the whole story. Paul told you this. We want you to know. No, you got to keep the law. Paul says, no, you don't. He was called to this ministry. He was given this deposit. It was committed to him he, when he was called. Ananias, God said, listen, Ananias, yes, even his, Ananias says, God, you, you know who this is you just saved? <laughs> yeah, I know who it is. I am sending him to Gentiles, Jews, and kings. I am sending him out to the world, this message, and he must learn all things that he must suffer for my ministry. That was the deposit entrusted to the Apostle Paul, and he had that ministry, and he did it. It wasn't easy. You read Paul's account of what he suffered, stonings, beatings, left for dead, whipped. He had to have borne on his body those fizz. You're not whipped with 39 lashes without leaving scars, my friends. And he happened to him more than once. He was stoned. He was crushed with rocks and left for dead. And God brought him back. He wasn't dead. He was shipwrecked. He. We looked at our class this morning. He, he was given a a tormentor by Satan, whatever it was, and he begged God three times, take this away from me. He suffered, but he was faithful. He went to the Gentile world with that message. And now it's where the rest of his life was. And now he's in prison and he is going to be executed. He is going to be executed for being faithful to God, to what God had called him to do. It was the deposit God gave him and he was faithful with it. Charlie's going to bring those keys back He's got him hooked on to his belt. He's going to bring him back. I know that. And if he does it, <laughs> then you got to get me a new set of keys, Greg. You're in the trustee board. And I also trust he's not going to misuse it because I know he won't. Paul was faithful. Paul was the apostle who was faithful. And I think the ESV's got it right. Paul was faithful 
And he passed that on to Timothy. And this is why I say I think the context helps us to see this. If you look at 2 Timothy, where we are, chapter 1, let's finish this. Verse 13. Timothy, what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. The word for sound teaching there is a medical term. It's healthy. Healthy. These are good things. They're healthy. They will bring good health. Timothy, keep those things as a pattern of good health teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Now look at it. He says to Timothy, what? Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So you see how the context, I think, helps us understand this? I received this deposit from God. I have guarded it because I know He's able to guard it until that day. He gave it to me, but God says the Holy Spirit has helped me. Timothy, I'm dying. I'm going to die. You're not going to see me again. Most likely. But I am giving this to you and to Titus. I am entrusting you to take care of this and to guard it. The sound teaching, if someone comes along and says, no, you must keep the Mosaic Law. No, you must do this. No, you must do that. I'm counting on you to take care of that teaching because it's been entrusted. But God will guard it through the person of the Holy Spirit. If you go back just a page in my Bible, just back to 1 Timothy, the very end of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. So at the end of Second Timothy, the begin, end of First Timothy, it's the beginning of Second Timothy. He says, "Timothy, guard this deposit." That is why I think what Paul is saying is, God has given me this deposit. Now it's time I've given it to you, to Titus. I want you to take care of it. God will guard it through the person of the Holy Spirit. It has been deposited with you. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He says, Timothy, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. The, we're talking here about the public teaching ministry of the church. Personal devotions and study are important. Discipleship is important. But friends, the public teaching ministry of the church is critical. Why? Because if I stand up here and teach heresy, you are going to catch it. Somebody might be swayed by it, but somebody else is going to come say, wait a minute, Pastor Jim, that's not what the Bible said. We need to talk about this. But if I, if all ever happens is me teaching another person, and that person is swayed by my teaching, and I teach them heresy, and they teach heresy, and they teach heresy, there's a value in the public teaching ministry of the church. This is very important, what we are doing here, and in our classes, and with our youth group, and in our children's departments. What BSF does when they come here all day Tuesday, morning and evening in our church, and fill the church, it is public teaching ministry. And Paul says, Timothy, the things you've heard from me in public, and then he says, what does he say there? Look what it says. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You see what's happening here? The deposit, the message of the grace of God, apart from any works of the law, the message of salvation, the church, the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile together, 
I've entrusted this Timothy and Titus. You've got to see that this is kept pure and pass it on. And Timothy and Titus, Timothy in this passage here, he says, listen, you have to remember, you've got to start training others. This is where his discipleship, you've got to train others. They've heard me teach it publicly, but I want you to work with them and equip them so they can begin to teach others. And this is how the process goes. And the final thing is, he says, so they could teach others. Friends, this is our memory verse for this week. Now, this is this important, important tradition that the Christian church has. It was given to the apostles. Peter and James and John were given entrustments too. Paul was given this entrustment, this gospel, this, this deposit. He passed it on. They trained and they passed it on. And they trained others. And when the Word of God was finally finished in terms of the canon of Scripture, and we have the Word of God, and we got teachers and leaders, we have the early church of fathers. I have books in my office, the apostolic fathers. And we have those who were trained to teach God's Word. And this process has been going on and on and on. The faithful teachers who could teach others, as he says here in Second Timothy, and then it's a cycle. Those last two parts are a cycle. We, these young children here that were here, right? I was one of those one time. In this church. Over at Emmanuel, when we came here in junior high, when I was in junior high, I was one of those young people. I was trained by many of you here are still here. Most of my trainers have gone on to be with the Lord. I was trained and now I'm teaching. We are teaching these children. You know what? 20 years from now, they are going to be teaching. There could be elders in this church. That last two steps has been going on for the last 2,000 years, friends. This memory verse is really, really important and vital. And Paul says, and it's important because, listen, we are that other today. We are part of that. We have the privilege and the responsibility to continue what Paul says was started by God calling him and the apostles. Paul, he gave him that entrustment. He gave him that treasure. He gave him that wonderful message. But it was never to be hoarded. You notice that. It was to be guarded but not hoarded. That's the difference. There were a lot of mystery religions in Paul's days. It was a mystery. And I would select, I would select the Gray family and all their, you know, descendants here and they're gonna have a new baby, they're gonna have a new baby too. How many, you guys are coming up, June here. I would select the Gray family and I would give them my secret religion. But you don't dare tell anybody else. Don't let the Aquas know about this. Alright? We know about this. And someday if we decide to, We'll tell the Aquels. And they might tell Linda Herman. And she might tell the... Those are mystery and secret. That, the Christ, Christianity was never like that. It was never hoarded. It was open. It was public. It was for everybody. But it was guarded specifically to keep it pure and to keep it true. Listen, friends. We are the others today. We have a tremendous responsibility and privilege in this process. I want to just close with this. I want to, just, I want to be honest with you. Can I just be speak my heart for a few minutes? I've earned that, haven't I? I've been pastor for long enough. You know, Kevin's a grandfather. I'm even older than him, you know. He's not grandfather yet. He will be. But that's going to be kind of fun to call him grandpa, isn't it? 
Right? <laughs> Listen, let me just speak from my heart for a minute. I am concerned. Uh, it just seems like every time I, I mean, I, I, I keep hearing, oh, we don't do Sunday school anymore. We don't do clubs anymore. We don't do Christian education anymore. You know, and I even hear it on Wednesday nights here. You know why? Families that come here, and, I, and I've spoken to them. And we're glad they're here. We're willing to minister to them. Yeah, we, we had to, we couldn't, we did this at our church. We couldn't do it anymore. We, we don't do it anymore. I keep hearing that. I started out my ministry 40 years ago. 40 years ago, 1978, I went to Bethesda Church in Minneapolis. I finished my master's degree at South Pacific in Christian education. It was my first love. Marlon Olson impacted my life a lot when I came, when I interned here. And I, 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 I look back, I was in sort of the heyday of the end of the Christian ed era. We had, a, we had in Minneapolis an association of Christian education directors and churches, and there were 20 of us, 20 of us that would meet monthly. It didn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen anymore, I'm telling you. And I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that we, as a, not just us, but as the, the Western Christian church, are we committed to keeping this going? Are you committed to it? This is something we have to do together, friends. We are in an age where Bible teaching is becoming less the norm. Yes, application and practical teaching is important. But before you can do it, you have to know it. I admire Craig Cheney's architect. We've got beautiful drawings for, for what we're going to do at the church here. And thank you for your participation. We've almost reached that $400,000 we are we're raising. But I might think, you know, I could be an architect. i got ideas too, Craig. I could design a church. I could design, I could, why would, I could skip school. I don't need a master's degree in that. I can draw. I can get a computer. I can get an architectural program. I could skip all that and go, right, right? No. <laughs> it would never pass code. Because you have to know, as the Bible says in the Old Testament, you have to know to do. And as we move further and further away from taking time to know what God's Word has to say, we are going to misapply God's Word to our lives and to our world. God bless you you who are committed to Bible Study Fellowship. It's a Bible teaching ministry. The application comes. God bless you for coming and sitting under the preaching today, for coming to our Bible school, our Sunday school classes, for being in our small groups, for bringing your kids to youth, for bringing your children to Sunday school. I'm speaking from my heart here. I know it's time to quit, but I have to tell you. You know why? I've been around a while. Not the smartest guy in the world, but I've been around for a while in, in church, and I know a lot of churches and pastors and so on. Do you know what the number one reason why churches are dropping Sunday school and dropping clubs? You know what it is? Huh? Can't get volunteers to serve. That is the number one reason. It's our culture and our life today. 
Yesterday, we had a funeral here for our, our dear brother, Larry Jones. You know, Larry, um, last time I talked to Larry here at church, Carmen, was at basketball. He was here with your kids for basketball. And every time he would come to our church for something like that, you know what the first thing he would, out of his mouth was? This is great what you're doing for the kids. That's how you, this, is, this is just great what you're doing for the kids here. This basketball program, this Wednesday, he'd bring the kids sometimes on Wednesday. This is just great. At his service here yesterday, there's a lady, I'm not going to tell you her name. Some of you know her. It's an older lady I've run across, related to some of our friends and family here. And we were talking to her. She taught kindergarten Sunday school for over 60 years. 60 years, and she would still do it today. You know, on Wednesday nights, you know how many people we have working on Wednesday night in our clubs who are over 60 years old? A lot. Some of our leaders have worked in clubs for 40 years. Listen, friends, I, I, I'm just, I'm gonna, I, I don't want to be offensive, but I do want to be convicting. So, you know, the worst you can do is fire me, okay? I'm obviously toward that end of my ministry than the beginning, so it's okay, all right? So worst that could happen. So let me just tell you, friends, teaching children, teaching young people, teaching adults, it is a spiritual gift. And the Bible clearly tells us if people refuse to use those gifts, the whole body suffers. And yes, it's costly. I mean, read Second Timothy. Paul talks about suffering for the gospel. Paul talks about the, yes, it is costly. Yes, it does mean you, you're going to have to be here. Yes, if you commit to teaching, everybody gets breaks. But you know what, as, my, as the years have gone on in my ministry, what I hear more and more and more and more, and the reason why I'm telling you, the reason why there'll come a day where there are going to be very few stories of people who taught 60, 40, 30, 20, or 10 years, I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be tied down to these children. It's not worth it. I think it's important, and I know somebody will do it, but I don't want to be tied down. I need to be free. I'd love to teach adult classes. I've been given the gift of teaching, but I, I just, I can't commit, I can't commit to it. I'm sharing my heart, okay? Is it okay? I'm just telling you. Major Christian ed publishers that were the foundation of what we did, what I did when I started in Christian education, have gone bankrupt. Why? Because nobody's buying the material to use. And they've had to consolidate into one company where there used to be four vital Christian ed publishers. I'm telling you, friends, I'm telling you the future. And I'm telling you with this week's memory verse. 
What does the future look like for Christian education in our Western church? What will Brian look like 20, 40, 60 years from now? People say, oh, Brian, do you have a vision? Do you have a vision? Hey, it's on your bulletin every week. Grounded in God's Word. Focused on Christ. Sharing God's love. Do we really believe this? I'm just asking you on challenging. And God bless you. Thank you. You know, we, we meet with other pastors and we share what's going on. and say, you don't have that many workers. Yes, we do. Because we are committed to teaching God's Word. Amen? Sunday school and, and parents, you can help us. You know, Christina had her children. These people work every single week getting ready to teach. But when somebody shows up once every eight weeks, yeah, it's a little difficult to get that continuity. I don't mean to be offensive, but I would like to be convicting. It is important what we are doing. We need you. We need your help. We need your participation. We need your prayers. I'm not... Some of you are not called, many of you are not called to teach right now, but you can help us. You give your offerings on top of what we're collecting to do. Why are we doing this remodel? Why are we doing that? It's going it's to be a crazy summer, friends. We want to share God's love. And we feel like making these changes will help make this facility more conducive when we come into your first impression, when you come into a place. You make your decision in the first 90 seconds if you're going to stay or not. We want to open that up and make it more for what we feel would be good for the fellowship and the movement and the interaction of people. We want to share God's love. We want to be focused on Christ. You give your resources. You give your money. Where does most of your money go when you give? It's no secret. Most of it goes to staff salaries because we believe in having teaching pastors. All of us and Susie, we all teach. We are all involved in teaching others to teach. And a big chunk of your money, you know what? This worship center here is only part of our facility. We, Fortunately, our founding fathers and mothers realized how important it was. We have more floor space for Christian education than we have for worship or anything else. Because we believed and do it's important. Amen. Hallelujah. You know what? We're in a storm. Here comes my key. <laughs> you got it? He hooked it on his belt. Was it there the whole time? It's your belt loop. Hey, come back here. Wait a minute. I got a reward for you. It's a dollar. You're welcome. (laughs) Now, ask me next week if I have my keys still, okay? (laughs) I may have to hire him to do my keys. Listen, friends. I know I went over a day. Sorry. But listen, I'm convicted about this. You you come on Wednesday night sometime. Even if you don't work on Wednesday night, come and have dinner with us. People come in and Make dinner for us. Wander around and watch. People driving in from, you know what the traffic's like, right? 
driving into church from Seattle and Everett and Linwood. These leaders are driving in here. They're serving and working, and they're here until the last child leaves. They go home. They prepare. That's just one part of the total program. God bless you. God bless you for giving, supporting, helping us stay committed to God's word, and for serving. God bless you, everyone.